Hi, my name's Gail Louise Turner and I'm just reporting from Paces Farm in Congleton. Today I'm um, interviewing my granddad, Colin Jackson, who's um, asked me to uh, do a podcast about him. I'm here to tell him, well, I'm here to tell him his story really to you all today. So I've just uh, rocked up at the farm. We're just having a little bit of a chat and a walk around. Um, just looking at the grass the grass is really really long and it's grown out and it's such a great space i can even see the summer tables right in front of me it's absolutely amazing i have fond memories of egg grading in the morning so today i'm going to be talking to my granddad colin jackson about his life story really and his memories from the farm and all of the grandchildren and his past job as a builder. So you just walk in um, to the caravan, which is your pride and joy. And, and there must be so many memories from the caravan that you've experienced. It's a beautiful caravan. So what can you remember um, about going on holiday in the caravan? What's your important memories? Oh, uh, new forest. Uh, it's nice down there. Cornwall, Tintagel. Nice places like that. I've always enjoyed the seaside and uh, we had great fun, Grace and I, but uh, uh, since Grace has, uh, is in hospital, um, we've, uh, we've not used it for, oh, for quite some time now, but my grandchildren use it. Uh, they take their children, my great-grandchildren. They usually go to Wales, Harlech or somewhere like that. Um, and... Uh, it's ideal for children because you don't have to worry if you're in a hotel. You've got to worry about the other guests and, you know, at night time you'd be stuck in your bedroom. Whereas here, when the awning's up, the children can play outside and then when it's bedtime they can all go to bed and you and can, uh, can watch uh, television. Uh, it's got everything inside it, uh, as caravans do these days. Uh, cooking facilities, shower, all the rest of it. Yeah, we've had good times in it. But uh, I don't think I'll be using it much now. But it's always there for the grandchildren or whoever wants it, within limits. So how long have you had the caravan for? Oh, we've been caravanning for about 30 years on and off we started off with a an old second hand one and now that one is about uh, oh, I don't know about 18 years old but we bought it from new and um, it stood up well enough yeah so we are um, at the Paces Farm um, talking to you today so I've, I've just got the Wendy house um, in front of me just describe this to me because I've actually got a Wendy house as well and, and what memories do you have from that well I can remember making it and I made uh, two of them one for the pace family and one for the turner family and it was when they were small children you'd be about six or seven at the time so uh, they've stood up well haven't they uh, they've even got a bay window on the front <laughs> but uh, now of course they're used as uh, uh, leaky sh well not leaky sheds they've got a new roof on that but uh, they use it for uh, storing and uh, putting all stuff in that's they don't want hanging around the farm, but they want to keep dry. So when did you actually make the Wendy house? Because it's made out of wood and it's got a tin roof on it. It's um, Like it said, it's multi-purpose and it's lasted through the years. Um, when did you actually make it? As I say, you'd be about six years old. So um, I'm not going into mathematics to work out uh, how old they are, but uh, they've been around a bit. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, um, my cat Lucy, she uh, actually lives in it and lives in the garage, so it's definitely multi-purpose. So just walking outside now, the weather's quite nice today. Um, I know we've had a lot of fun times at the farm, but what can you remember about um, being here and sort of the, the memories of, of coming to the farm? I mean, I, I know uh, my cousins are up at Christmas time and the the egg grading. And I mean, I haven't done that at Christmas time. But what memories do you have about um, being at the farm? Well, I've done a bit of egg grading, but uh, uh, I also did the... Uh uh, when when they, when Tony used to harvest potatoes, uh, I used to go on potato picking and sorting and then uh, bagging them up. Um, but as I got older, uh, I uh, they stopped growing, they stopped planting potatoes. But I also did a lot of uh, work around the house and the farm buildings because uh, I was a builder and. Uh, uh, done all sorts, new windows, pointing the brickwork, flags, all kinds of work like that, yeah. So, do you still, um, so obviously you've learned a lot of skills from your building. What If you had the choice now and you had the time, what would you build? Uh, what would I build? I don't know, I've built most things. From The last job I did was Liverpool Airport. I was the clerk of works on Liverpool Airport. I was responsible for the... Uh, quality but if some of you've been there and uh, it's got a bit uh, worn don't blame me um, I, I worked uh, all over the country um, I was an architect's contract supervisor which meant that I'd go on sites and uh, make sure that the work was done to a standard and also in accordance with the specification and the drawings. So I'm just in Grandad's car at the moment. We're just going around Pacer's farm just to have a look what's going on. So we're just coming up to some of the farm buildings. Um, there's a lot going on here. We've, ju we've just got some of the, the equipment there. And there's a lot of um, horse manure, which isn't great. But this is what the farm's all about. So we're just coming up to the sheds now. And there's a horrible smell here. Not nice at all. But we're, we're just going for a little ride in the car just to see what's going on. There seems to be a lot of trees here. And, um, and I've come up to a gate now. We're just pulling up up to the wire gate now and I can see all of the free range hens in the farm they're making a lot of noise in fact they're all coming towards me now so I can't actually count how many there are but they've got some trees right in front of them and um, yeah I've got one here someone's going to come say hi so just to describe what I'm looking at so all the hens now are, are coming towards me at the gate um, to them they're all coming towards me to my left I've got the cooler and I've got the the farm shed and some of the hens are peeping out of the shed also but the majority of them have come forward to see what's going on there's there must be thousands of them here they're all roaming free caravan that the men are living in down here while they're putting the, uh, the grain store up show you in a minute so we're just uh, coming back from the the free range shed now and i've just got the cornfield back on my right just going down the pathway i've walked down here actually quite a few years ago it's quite a good walk with my wellies and and it's quite quite nice being in the fresh air quite good for your health and well-being really
after actually going around the farm, meeting all the animals, myself and Grandad, Colin Jackson, we, we walked into the farmhouse and we actually met some old and dear friends. So I've just had a dog walk into the kitchen. This is Jakey. Hello, Jakey. Jakey's not saying much to me. Uh, I've got my Auntie Jill in front of me. Hi, Auntie Jill. Hello, Gail. How are you? Very well, thank you very much. So this is the, the sheepdog of the family. His name is Jakey. He's looking very beautiful. He's got a nice red collar. He's not making any sounds, though, and I, I really want to say hello to him today. Hello, Jakey. After a long, busy day going around the farm, myself and Colin Jackson, my granddad, we spoke and he decided to participate in my Helping Hands podcast and he told me the rest of his story. Welcome to the Helping Hands podcast with me, Gail Louise Turner. On this podcast, I will be chatting to inspirational people and I will be finding out about their life story, their influences and how they give that extra helping hand every day. If you'd like to follow me, please go to my Facebook, which is Gail Louise Turner, or on my Instagram, which is Gail GLT. Each episode of the Helping Hands podcast will be having an accompanying Spotify playlist with my guest musical influences. This can be found under Helping Hands podcast playlist on Spotify. Now it's time to sit back and relax and enjoy the show. My name is uh, Colin Jackson and uh, I was born in Altrincham on the 20th of April 1934. We lived in Altrincham uh, until 1941 when we moved to Salford. Uh, this was at the height of the Blitz um, where the Luftwaffe were targeting Manchester, the factories in Trafford Park and obviously Salford Docks. We lived um, within 200 yards of the dock gates. So um, we were in a pretty uh, uh, vulnerable position, but we were never bombed. Uh, however, I do remember being in the uh, classroom and the register was taken and um, occasionally, not very often, uh, a boy's name would be read out and he didn't answer. And the teacher would say, where is um, this boy? And someone would chirp up and say, oh, sir, he was bombed out last night, uh, which was um, a pretty uh, a horrible thing. Uh, sometimes those boys reappeared and sometimes they didn't. Uh, I couldn't tell you what happened to them. Uh, they may have moved to a different area or they may have joined the almighty, I don't know. Um, not much else really. Uh, I um, started my working life as an apprentice joiner and carpenter and um, worked as a carpenter for quite some time. And then I realized that um, I'd be better at telling people what to do than doing it. So I, uh, I went to night school and um, I became a member of the Institute of Clark of Works. Um, that was after some experience as a contracts manager. And um, during my working life, I was responsible for uh, quite some uh, prestigious projects. Um, I finished my career when I retired 
And the last job I did was uh, Liverpool Airport, where I was responsible for uh, the standard uh, and the quality of the workmanship. If you've had a bad experience there, don't blame me. It all went wrong when I left. Uh, right, Gail, um, is there something you would like to say? Well, yes. Yeah, so today I'm here to tell your story. Um, so you've given me a bit of a brief introduction there, which is absolutely fantastic. So, yes, yeah, so I'm trying to look at your story in detail today. So I'm going to take you right back now to your childhood as a boy. I um, So you initially said about what you did in the war. I'd like you to go into more detail about that, if you can, for me, please. Well, during the war, I was uh, obviously I was five years old when the war started. And uh, so I to me, it wasn't very um, frightening because I didn't know any different. And uh, I never suffered any um, uh, injuries during the war. Um, I do remember that uh, my sister worked uh, at a grocery chain and she would bring our rations home uh, on a Friday night and they would be in a box which would be 12 inches by nine inches by nine inches. And all our provisions would be in that box. That would be everything we ate apart from vegetables, meat and milk. So you can see, um, the housewives in the, during the war, they had to be very um, imaginative uh, when they were laying out meals. Um, there would be um, plenty of potatoes and vegetables, uh, which of course in those days we didn't know, but they did us no harm. And, um, the school was that uh, we had a football team. Um, I was on the football team, but I was never a very good footballer. I also played cricket and tennis. I wasn't a bad cricketer, but uh, I wasn't particularly good at tennis. Um, there's not much else really. Uh, we had, uh, as we grew into be uh, teenagers and started work, we could afford to buy ourselves bicycles on the never never that meant that you put a deposit down and paid something like uh, three shillings a week what seemed to be for the rest of your life but uh, until the debt was paid off and we would think of nothing uh, from driving from uh, Salford uh, sorry not driving cycling from Salford uh, to places like uh, um, New Brighton, which was near Liverpool, going over on the ferry from Liverpool, um, cycling to Southport, uh, cycling up into Buxton, which was pretty hilly. Uh, and that was uh, basically how life went. We used to go to dances at the local church, uh, where the uh, main reason was to uh, try to... Um, attract some young lady, but uh, sometimes you were successful, sometimes you weren't. And um, that was about it really, until I joined the Air Force. So, so, so I've got your, your, your brief childhood there. So talk to me about how you got on in the Air Force. So then what year did you join the Air Force and how old were you and how did it affect you? 
Uh, no, I joined the Air Force when I was 21 because uh, I'd uh, been an apprentice and I had to finish my apprenticeship before I, um, uh, before I uh, could join the Air Force. Um, it was conscription in those days, uh, but it did me the power of good because uh, I thought I was fit when I went into the Air Force because I did always done a lot of running and cycling. But um, uh, when I'd finished the uh, initial square bashing and training, I felt as though I could jump over houses. Um, I took a course at Kirkham, uh, which is near Blackpool. I believe it's an open prison now. It's pretty much like an open prison when I was there, when I come to think about it. Um, and I trained to be an airframe uh, fitter. Uh, that's a ground crew and uh, I was posted uh, to um, the Middle East and I started in Iraq and uh, I used to um, service aircraft and then I was um, posted to uh, 249 Squadron uh, in Jordan, Amman in Jordan. Uh, Transjordan, I think they called it then. Um, and uh, uh, 249 Squadron was a mobile squadron, which meant that uh, at 24 hours notice, we had to pack up and be, fly to another airfield. Of course, we didn't fly in the, in the, in the fighter plane, fighter bombers, Venoms. Uh, which were uh, a twin-boomed wooden cockpit aircraft. Um, we would uh, go on RAF transport and, and advance. Some would stay behind to see them off, and some would go to the new airfield to uh, bring them in. And during that time, I spent time in uh, uh, Jordan, uh, Cyprus. This was at the time of the Suez campaign, where the planes were um, actually um, engaging the Russia, uh, the um, Egyptian Air Force, uh, which didn't put up much of a fight. Um, and that lasted a while until somebody at the United Nations said, enough's enough. And um, we, uh, we were told to uh, stop being naughty boys and behave ourselves, which we found very difficult. Um, I then moved on to um, Libya, to an airfield called El Adam, which is the airfield at Tobruk. And Tobruk, uh, this would be in 1956, Tobruk had been very badly uh, as you as you all know, uh, it was fought over and changed hands many times, and the houses and everywhere were full of bullet holes. There are two cemeteries there: the English war graves cemetery and the German war graves cemetery, and each were treated uh, well, certainly by the RAF, with equal respect. Is that okay, Gail? That's fantastic. That's such a great story, and we and and it's it's great looking back at your history. And and I mean, 
looking at your story in detail, um, what I'd also like to know is who and, and what are your influences going through your life story? Well, um, the education I got at, uh, at, um, at certainly at between the ages of seven and 15 was pretty basic. Um, I could I could read and write and add up and uh, I was always wise enough to know that um, how much I was I was entitled to. I um, uh, this of course was during the war and a lot of the teach well all the young men who would be teachers were out fighting in the services uh, and so. Um, the teachers were mostly elderly or disabled, middle-aged um, men and women, uh, elderly men and women who'd come out of retirement. And so whom they weren't very interested in educating us. Uh, but when the war finished in 1946, I would be 12, um, a new bunch of teachers came and one of them his name was Mr Wormsley and he was a very strict man um, he didn't spare the rod and I certainly felt the rod many times but he was an inspirational guy and he made you believe in yourself and that you weren't just a handcart pusher you were something better than that um, although most of us were handcart pushers, but we did believe we were better than that. And um, of course, I then went on to become uh, uh, an apprentice uh, joiner. But it would be about, and I, then I carried on working for oh, different firms, uh, wherever they were paying more money, I'd be with them. I never stayed anywhere if someone was paying a penny an hour more somewhere else. And um, I, uh, uh, one Sunday, I happened to, my mother was watching television. We had a very small black and white television in those days, but it was um, William Shakespeare's An Age of Kings. And I'd always turned my nose up at Shakespeare but I was watched it and I got involved with this. The history of England was there. And in particular, the, um, the War of the Roses, that was the war between the Lancastrians and the Yorkists who both had claims to the throne, but it was, it was, um, it was sorted out in the end uh, in battle. Um, and uh, the Yorkists won, and uh, Edward the Fourth, the Yorkist, was crowned King of England, and he had two brothers. Uh, one was um, uh, Clarence, and the other was Richard. Uh, now, Richard is the one who's gone down in history as probably the most evil Englishman ever. That's debatable, but. Uh, in one of his um, soliloquies, the war's over and all he's ever been good at would be fighting and 
being aggressive and he'd none of the social graces that uh, uh, the other two brothers had and he makes a speech in which he says I'm not fit for this world of dancing and singing and uh, complimenting one another and winning ladies over um, I'm a nasty piece of work and the only joy I've got is my ambition to be the king and he goes in to say how all the things that lie in front of him that will stop him becoming the king there's the brother Clarence there's the king himself there's the king's children but he gets rid of them all and in this speech at the end he says I can murder people and not bother I can lie and cheat and swindle I can do all this and if I can't gain the crown of England if it were closer I'd pull it down and I thought god I can do that not to become the king of England but to advance myself and I did I, I never killed anyone <laughs> and I don't think I've ever swindled anyone uh, but uh, I certainly uh, took no prisoners when I was moving up the career ladder. Uh, and those two things are probably the things that influenced me most. So you've talked about Shakespeare there as, as been um, an actual influence. Is there any actual uh, other sort of novels that have influenced you? Or yeah, books or music? For enjoyment, I've uh, I've read all the Dickens novels, and um, uh, I've, I've read uh, Agatha Christie, um, uh, Jamaica Inn, uh, Daphne du Maurier. Uh, her stories are very good. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've read quite a lot in my time. I don't read much now. I watch it. I'm a lazy now. I watch it on YouTube. So, you, so you like YouTube then? I, I, I watch YouTube more than I do television. I think. And what do you like about YouTube? I like the fact that I can watch films. Um, I can research things if I want to know something about. Uh, I don't know Julius Caesar. I just Google in Julius Caesar, and I can read from the day he was born to the day he, was, uh, he died. That's, and YouTube that's so is uh, very good for that. And also, um, I think you talked to me about a novel once at Christmas time. What, what was that novel by um, John Macefield? <laughs> Remind me on about that. Oh, yeah. Well, um, my father was knocked about pretty badly in the First World War, and he'd been gassed. Uh, which uh, had weakened his lungs and he'd caught TB, that's tuberculosis. So he died uh, when I was 12, but his earning capacity was never very good because he couldn't do heavy work. Um, he just didn't have the strength because of the illnesses and the, uh, uh, I'm not going into details, but he'd been pretty badly knocked about in the war. Uh, with shells and bayonets and things um, but uh, uh, so I started work when I was seven on a milk round and um, 
I could always make a few, turn a penny round. Then I got to selling newspapers as I got a bit older, but on a paper round. And um, I can remember on this paper round, I, uh, oh, I went on out from being a paper round uh, to um, uh, going to the Manchester Evening News office on Regent Road, Salford, and getting um, football pinks, which I would rush around the, um, the houses selling. Um, and there used to be a, a Sunday paper called the Empire News, which came out on a Saturday night. Uh, and I would sell that. So I always had uh, a few shillings in my pocket. Um, but uh, going back to uh, when I was delivering papers, um, when I would be about, I don't know, uh, 12, 13, something like that, uh, there was um, a wonderful program. This was on the radio called Children's Hour. And they had such wonderful plays. And uh, uh, programs on. And one uh, which was on around Christmas time, it was called The Box of Delights by John Macefield. And it's a beautiful story. It's about a boy who comes home from school and uh, he enters a world of magic. Um, this isn't the magic where prehistoric monsters are firing ray guns at one another. This is a world of magic which you could actually assimilate to because it was magic which was which you could see. You couldn't see magic, but you could see the characters that he was uh, referring to. And I used to rush home to watch that. Uh, I would recommend any of you, uh, particularly ones who've got young children um, of a certain age, you know, you should show them when they're too young, perhaps when they're sort of 10, 11, 12, uh, to get the um, DVD of the Box of Delights. And I think you'd enjoy it as well as the children. Yeah, I definitely would. And I know the story, but is there any influential characters in the actual the book or the videotape or the film version that you've actually seen that that kind of you can identify and relate to? Is there any influential characters in the Box of Delights? Not I can really relate to, but I've always uh, um, seemed to um, find villains to be more interesting characters than uh, holier than thou's. Uh, and the villain in it is a wizard called Abner Brown, and his wife uh, is called Sylvia Pouncer, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and she um, uh, is uh, probably the most evil woman that uh, I've ever come across, in fiction, of course. Yes. So what can you remember? What one thing she did, Sylvia Pouncer, is there anything that you can remember that she did that was quite evil? Oh, she was like, um, as Abner was uh, up front and, you know, uh, throwing, you know, getting in everybody's way and uh, instructing his uh, team of villains to, uh, to carry out his dastardly deeds, uh, she would be in the background uh, virtually... Um, laying traps for people and uh, not a very straightforward villain, an underhanded villain or villainess. 
that would be Sylvia Pouncer. It's a good name as well, and it describes her quite well. From um, and I think because I've watched the videotape of it and listened to the soundtrack a little bit, and it's quite it's quite a good soundtrack for the, the BBC version which I've seen. And I think yes. some, sometimes when you're uh, watching the the television program, you need to read the novel first. But I've always watched the television program, so I think I need to go back to the novel because um, again, with things like Harry Potter, the novel is a lot more detailed, isn't it? So I think you of do need to is, yeah. do that. So that is a great memory, but 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 what year um, did that memory associate with you? Were you quite young at the time when oh, you found Boxing Oh, it'd be 1946, 47, 48, that sort of time. Yes, yeah, so, time ago. So after the war, so it kind of... Oh, certainly, um, yes. After, um, it's kind of a bit of a, a light-hearted fantasy feeling after everything that you went through with the war. Did you find that? Yes. Um, the, uh, uh, the other villainess I know uh, is uh, the one in um, uh, Garner's uh, book um, uh, of Alderly Edge. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It will come to me in a minute. Uh, and uh, this lady's name was um, Selena Place. That's uh, Selena Place. Now, your grandmother's name, my wife's name, is Grace Selina. And my eldest granddaughter was named Claire Selina Pace. And I used to uh, pull Claire's leg by saying that this villainous lady had the same name as she did. Uh, ah. Selina Place, not, uh, <laughs> not Selina Pace. Yeah. Just one of the uh, tricks I used to play with my grandchildren. I love them dearly. So uh, Claire had a nickname. Can you remember what her nickname was? What Claire. Uh, oh, hang on a minute. I, I used to, um, when I was a clerk of works, there were some Liverpool guys and they used to say, are you the clerk? <laughs> As the Liverpool accent. And I started to call Claire, Lee Claire. Yeah, I remember you saying that to her and, and clerk you said to her, and I do remember clerky. I think we still call her clerky. Yeah, oh dear, poor Claire. Um yeah. so so looking back at your life then, um, who has actually helped you or um has anybody helped you going along? Because how old are you now, Grandad? If you don't mind I'm me. Eighty seven. Okay, so you've had a really good life, fantastic. So who has helped you or have you helped anybody? What what would you say uh, to that? I don't I don't know if I've helped anyone. I've tried to encourage my children. I love them all dearly. I've got um uh three children, I think seven grandchildren, and I'm losing count with the great grandchildren. Uh, I've got a I've got a table with their photographs on, and I'm gonna have to get a bigger table the way they're going but um my grandchildren are claire rebecca gail daniel christopher and lauren and they are doing their very best for the population because they are producing wonderful great-grandchildren which will be the future of this country yeah, my cousins have done very well in uh, in producing so grandchildren, and I'm producing a podcast series, and I've got a cat, so it's not too bad, is it? We're doing all right, aren't we? So you're I'm going to 
doing all right. Thank you for saying that. That's so nice. And I bet you uh, my cousins aren't in their call today. And do you know what? I actually asked them to come in. So I'm glad you've mentioned them all. So you, you've put them in the forefront there. So I'm, I'm really, really pleased that you've actually asked um, and, and included them all in the call. So hello to all my cousins at home. I hope you are OK. So, Grandad, what is your greatest achievement? Well, I've worked on some very prestigious projects and I've worked very hard on them. Um, I, I did Hewlett Packard's headquarters in Manchester, which is a beautiful building that's in uh, Cheadle Heath. Um, and I did their headquarters in um, at Bracknell, which was at Amen Corner where I bought uh, from the Amen Corner uh, music shop. They were a pop group, Amen Corner, a long time ago. Uh, I bought Grace, my wife, um, uh, a piano thing, what do they call them? You know, a piano. Uh, keyboards, thing. keyboards. Yeah. Yeah, keyboards. That came from a Amen Corner. I was very proud of that. But I think my greatest achievement and it's not mine it was a joint effort by grace was to bring up our children as best we could and every single one of them has turned out to be a credit to us not one of them has ever given us a moment's heartache they're a credit to us and the same thing goes for my grandchildren. It's early days for the great-grandchildren, but if they follow the, uh, the family trend, they won't do bad. Thank you very much. That's a very nice sentiment, and uh, I definitely agree with you. And it's it's nice to have a bit of um, praise, and I think we all need it um, in this time for COVID. So um, what have you been doing for COVID and how have you been getting on? Because I know you've been isolating a lot and I've not been able to come and see you. Um, and I've spoke to you on the telephone quite a lot. So what have you actually been doing throughout COVID? Well, I, I jointly run the U3A uh, Music Appreciation Group. And um, of course, uh, they're all elderly people like myself, or mostly. Uh, I think the youngest one will be in their mid seventies, so <laughs> they're all uh, they're all coffin dodgers, um, and uh, of course we we couldn't meet, but uh, we set up Zoom meetings, and we have one every week uh, where people select pieces of music they like, and uh, it's played, and they talk about it, and. Uh, uh, we also meet at, at, now it's eased off a bit, we also meet uh, at one another's, in one another's gardens, if the weather's right. Um, and uh, um, I've been doing, uh, I've done quite a lot at my garden. I wasn't happy with the way my garden was, so I've uh, uprooted an awful lot of shrubs and things and opened the back garden up. Um, and generally speaking, just got on with life. Uh, we're English and we don't let things like Chinese plagues and threats and God knows what else bother us. We face up to it and we get on with it. And that's what we've done. 
because so we're, that, yeah. Oh, well, I, I should say, I should say we're British because I've got a lot of Welsh and Scots friends. And if I say that uh, I get in trouble from them, they tell me, what about the Scots and the Welsh? So that's okay. that's that's a very interesting sentiment. So what I'm going to ask you now: Have you done anything different um, during COVID? Because we've been had had these um, really really tight restrictions, which we've needed really to you know to get us all health and back to hundred percent, and you know to cope with the the virus and everything. Have have you had to do anything different, which you really really struggled with, or have you done something different which you've actually quite enjoyed? Uh, I don't think I've done anything different. I've certainly not been... Uh, um, there are two reasons that why I've not been uh, away on the holiday caravanning. Grace and I used to uh, do quite a lot of uh, going down to Cornwall, the New Forest, uh, Wales, in the caravan, but I just haven't got the heart for it anymore. I may try it for a weekend somewhere, but... Uh, um, so I've not been doing that. Uh, I have been away uh, with my daughter Jill and her uh, children and grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, uh, to Wales, and I quite enjoyed that. Um, but uh, I've just carried on pretty much like I always do. Uh, I've tried to obey the rules of uh, every time I go in a shop, I sterilise my hands and... Uh, um, I'm frequently washing my hands. I won't touch any food for anyone or anything or make them cover tea unless I wash my hands first uh, because it's so easy to pass this disease on. And uh, I wouldn't want that for anyone. No, no, I absolutely agree. And I think it's good to put the, the precautions in place so you kind of know what you're doing and that kind of thing and it's really really important especially at your age as well because you are a vulnerable person we don't want to lose you to covid or anything else so very very important to do that and you, you know you are you have been a great help to society so we definitely need you and i, and I need you because i need to talk to you about things so i'm just gonna go to um your spotify playlist now so as you know granddad each of yeah. my guests have they uh, their own spotify playlist so if you go to spotify and if you search for gail louise turner helping hands podcast playlist series two episode six because that's what you are so we're going to go through the first songs now yeah. so, the f so uh, forgive my pronunciation on these because i'm going to try and work through them so we're looking at wagner and the first song on the list is Log Agin Act 3 Prelude. Please explain your reasoning for choosing this song. Yeah, it's um, Wagner's, uh, uh, it's from Wagner's uh, opera Tristan and Isolde. And um, King Mark, the king of um, Cornwall, uh, sends his nephew Sir Tristan, who was a sort of Arthurian knight, over to Wales to bring back the Princess Isolde, who King Mark is going to marry. And um, they, uh, King, uh, uh, the, 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 the usual thing happens, the young uh, Isolde and the young uh, Tristan fall in love. And um, 
without going into too much detail, if you want to, uh, uh, if you really want to get into the story, I'd recommend that you either Google the synopsis or um, just, well, Google the synopsis, that's the best thing to do. Uh, but basically uh, what happens is Tristan dies and uh, a soldier sings the Liebstad, uh, which is uh, a love song. And in the love song, uh, she says how much she's in love with Tristan and uh, the relationship was never consummated, but she actually consummates the relationship in the song. And when you listen to the song, uh, I'm not being, um, uh, what can I call it? Um, pornographic, but uh, it's the closest thing you'll ever find in music to consummation. That's a, the most polite way I can put it. Would you like to play it? I can't play it now, but what we will do is uh, I'll share it on my social media, and when I put the pack, I put the um, the show together later, yes, I shall I shall do that. But uh, you'll definitely be able to hear it later um, separately on Spotify. So your next song now, we have got the Maple Leaf Rag, and it's by Scott uh, Joplin. So so why have you chosen this one? I think it's a beautiful piece of piano playing. All Scott Joplin's are wonderful pieces of agile finger piano playing. And it's just, it just appeals to me, the song. Uh, it's not a song, it's a, it, there's no words to it. It's just a piano piece, uh, Maple Leaf Rag. Yeah. Maple Leaf is obviously something to do with Canada. Ah, okay. So yeah, Canada, that's nice. Have you ever been to Canada? No, I haven't, no. Um, I'm a European and um, uh, I'm quite happy to, uh, to spend my time in Europe. I've been east of Suez and uh, as uh, they, uh, Rudyard Kipling says in the song, uh, well, in his poem, take me somewhere east of Suez where the best is like the worst. And that's perfectly true. Uh, Europe is the best to me. Other people have different views, of course. I'm sure the Americans and the Australians love their country, and I love mine. Yeah, and, and I think I think it's quite. Uh, when I'm thinking about maple, I think of autumn. And that's that's the the sort of influence I'm getting off that. So yeah, it's a very very good song. So your next one is a piano concerto number twenty one. Mozart. Yeah, um, it, it's a beautiful piece of music. You've probably heard bits of it. Uh, there's an advert on the television where there's a, it looks like a bull with big horns and the music in the background is uh, Mozart's uh, uh, piano concerto number 21, the Allegro. Uh, and there was also a film made, it's a Swedish film, called Elvira Madigan, and that was the theme music passing right the way through it, because uh, there's no doubt about it, G uh, the word genius is bandied about far too often, but Mozart certainly was a genius. 
beautiful piece of music. Yeah, it's good to be a genius, and 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 the, the people like Mozart are remembered even today. That that sort of natural talent, and um, th- these songs are absolutely endless. Now, this one um is called Jackson, and it's by Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. Why did you choose this one? Well, I like Johnny Cash for a start, and uh, I have played this piece. Um, for the music appreciation group, but I never tell them what the title of it is. I call it Narcissus because Narcissus looked in a pond and saw his face and fell in love with it. And so uh, it sounds as though uh, uh, Jackson is uh, (laughs) obviously my name. And uh, although I'm not in love with myself, um, uh, I call it the piece Narcissus, but I, I think it's a really good piece. Of, it's a really good song. It tells a story. I like mu- I like pieces of music that tell a story. And that tells a story. And yeah. is that that's what I was going to ask you? So you you you've chosen your music pieces today because they tell a story, and you've have you looked into the story in great detail? I mean, uh, what story was that? Sorry. In general, so your songs today, have you actually researched them and looked at the meaning and and found that it's been quite helpful and um, you know. Well, over the years, yes. Um, I've, I've not. I don't. I've not had to research them now because I they were in my head, you know. So your last one on the list then um, is "End of the Line" by Traveling. Will, I can't even say it, let me the go back. The Travelling Wilburys. That's the one. So I've heard this one before. You're going to have to explain this one to me. I've definitely heard well, it somewhere. It's a lovely piece of music because it's telling old folks that although you're coming to the end of the line, um, you can, you've still got a voice to be heard. Uh, you, 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 still, you can still get... Uh, uh, go for the things that you want to go for. And uh, I didn't know what this piece of music was, but I'd heard it on the radio. And I asked your dad, Colin, uh, I said, what's that piece of music? And he said, because your dad's quite a good, uh, he's very, um, he's got a great knowledge of music your dad has. And uh, he said to me, oh, that's the Travelling Wilburys. And um, they're all top artists. Uh, George Harrison. um, I I forget the others. uh, uh, The guy with glasses. uh, I I forget the names. My memory is not what it used to be. But it's a beautiful piece of music. And you will hear it one day. uh, Definitely will. Uh, I will. Gail, I will. But, I, will hear uh, it, I won't tell you when. Uh, well, you will you, hear it. Oh well, I um, I love music like you. So uh, you were explaining to me about your UC3L. Is that your music group that you attend? How does Sorry? it? Sorry. You were telling me earlier about your UC3L. Is that the music group? You see, it's the University of the Third Age. It's a very pretentious title. <laughs> it's nothing to do with a university, but uh, it's where old fogies go and um, listen to music or uh, play cards or go for walks. And uh, they're supposed to learn. Um, 
I suppose they do, but uh, it's a very pretentious title. But uh, through it, um, I've got a great load of friends. Well, that's good. I think everybody needs great friends, especially at this time. Yeah, and 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 you speak to them on the phone or Zoom. Uh, well, I see them on Zoom, and uh, occasionally they pop round here for a coffee, and uh, I pop round there for a coffee, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be starting up again. Of course, there was no U three A last year because of the uh, the Chinese plague, but. Um, uh, there will be uh, next year because uh, it looks as though we're getting on top of it. Well, I hope we are. And have you had your second jab now? I've had my second jab a long time ago, yeah. Good. That's that's good to hear so you can be out and about. So as soon as uh, we have the information to take the mask off, you can get back to normal and get back to family life, which which will be great. So looking at the future now, what are your future plans and how do you think life will be after covid well, I think life will return to normal because um, you'll never believe you, it's me saying this, but for once I agree with Boris Johnson that uh, we've got to learn to live with it. And providing people do as they're told and we're very we're not very good at doing as we're told in England but uh, if we I mean for instance you said a minute ago about masks I will wear a mask until I feel that I'd no longer need to not for myself because I know a mask doesn't protect me but if I've got it it might protect someone else and wearing a mask is no it, it's like me saying to the people when I go into the shops, I respect you and I don't want to hurt you. Um, and if everyone took that on board, I think we'll be okay. Because we will get rid of it eventually. I hope Although so. Although we may have to learn to live with it as we live with the common cold. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And like you were talking at the beginning of your story about um, in, in the war and things, and I think they had... Uh, you know you had the viruses to contend with as well and I've spoke to some people and they've liked and, they, and they've compared it to how life is today those restrictions the rationing and I mean looking at the bigger picture it is similar in a way because we have had them restrictions have you um, in your life story looked back on the war um, in today's society and have you sort of seen similarities or differences to what we're going through now because I know living conditions are a lot better now but have you seen any similarities or differences to how it was today when you were living um, as a boy in the war? I hear a lot of people saying that we're far more selfish today than we were during the war. I don't believe that. I believe that we're pretty much, by and large, we're pretty much the same as we were then. Um, obviously, um, in those days, the entertainment was that people would go to church and Saturday night would be church socials and things like that and they would go to the cinema and there'd be queues outside cinemas 
on Saturday night in particular. Now, of course, people don't go to the cinema as much. They watch television. Um, and uh, uh, the pubs uh, now don't seem to be places where men play darts and drink beer. They're more like places where people go to eat meals and drink beer. But it's pretty much the same, I think. I think people are pretty much the same as they were then. They're certainly, uh, I think people are more um, caring towards one another than they were. Uh, poverty is a terrible thing. And we've, by and large, we've got rid of poverty in this country. There are still areas where people are not so blessed as we are. But I used to say, when someone started work at the architectural practice I stand, uh, was with, and they would be sent out with me uh, to visit sites so they could understand as, far, as well as drawing on bits of paper, they could actually see bricks and mortar being laid and concrete being pumped and uh, uh, all the rest of the things that go on. And I used to say to them, these partners here, half of them I've taken out like I'm taking you out. There's a field marshal's button in everyone's kit bag. And you've got to remember that. Always go where the headaches are and succeed. Wow, that's, that's about it. That's, that's really, really good. So as a final thought then, so future plans and what are you going to do for the rest of the weekend? Because I know the football's on tomorrow. So, so future plans and what are you going to do for the weekend? Well, I'll probably watch a bit of the football. Um, I, I'm not as... Uh, 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 I used to be, but I'm not anymore. I'm not as... Uh, I, I, I bought a newspaper today and the first six pages were about the England match. Um, and it is important. And it's important for the nation's psyche that um, we do have success in sport. Uh, but uh, I'll be watching that and I'll be doing other things. Uh, uh, I, I've got a, a caravan to, uh, to tidy up a bit and service because uh, one of my grandchildren are going away in it for, uh, for a week in Wales. And I want to make sure that the electrics work and the water works and they can move it about easily. And that's about it, really. But if I could give you all a bit of advice, and this comes not only, it came from Winston Churchill originally, but it's been taken up by my daughter, Jill. She will never give up. If she has a problem, I've seen her at my house with my computer when it's gone wrong and she will never give up. And you should all try and get that in your psyche. Never. They said, a young man said to Winston Churchill, what's the best advice you could give me? 
And he looked at him and he said, never, never, ever give up. And if you never give up, you'll succeed. That's really, really good. And that's, that's the best advice that anybody could give is to never, is. ever give up. And that came from Winston Churchill and is used by Jill, my auntie. That's that's amazing. That That is the best I don't advice. think Jill knew about Winston Churchill. She invented it herself, but she will never give up. Good. Good. And I like that sentiment and I hope everybody's in the in the same boat there. So thank you very much to speak to me today, Grandad. Colin Jackson, you've been an absolute star and I will be seeing you very, very soon. Have you got any final words to say to everybody? No, only uh, good luck to you all. Keep yourself safe and uh, I'll see you when I see you. Thank you very much for your time. And Gail, remember this. In your career, and I want your career to branch into what you're doing now, and you do it well, and you probably enjoy doing it, keep at it. Don't say, I'm getting nowhere. You are. Keep at it, and you'll get there. Never give up never give up thank you very much mr jackson granddad and i'll see you very very soon
After having a tour of the farm, myself and granddad Colin Jackson drove back to Pacer's farm and met some old and dear friends. <laughs> 